Hello, everybody, and welcome to Hashtag Sped Facts. I'm your host, Laura, and I'm so glad you've joined us. Hopefully, you've been following along in our podcast episode list. We're on episode four. Woohoo! I'm so excited um, to get this far because launching a podcast is a little intimidating and all the technology involved. I've been on a huge learning curve through this process. So I'm not only excited about sharing great information with you and trying to explain, you know, things that are so complex and complicated about special education, but I'm just really, honestly, very thrilled that I have mastered some technology things here. And as I said in the last podcast, I did not know this. I feel so millennial right now that I am kind of sticking to the TED Talk time rule of about 15 or 20 minutes per episode to keep your attention. I just thought that was a good idea. So apparently TED agrees with me. So anyway, welcome everyone to Hashtag SpedFacts, where we answer all your frequently asked questions about special education for parents and teachers. We aim to answer the questions before you even ask them, before you even know you have a question. We want to be there and give you all the information before you even know you have a problem or have a concern. Anyway, um, our other goal is to be here as an audio resource for you. You can listen to our episodes at will, pick the topics of information you need in the moment, sit down and relax a little bit, de-stress, and take your time and go through the podcast, go through the information we provide or maybe the school has provided, and just breathe and absorb So anyway, we're here for you, everyone, parents and teachers. In today's episode, we're continuing, we're picking up where we left off in episode three, because now we're in episode four, yeah, Um, and we are talking about consent for evaluations. Yes, everyone, we have made it through the referral process, we've explained what procedural safeguards are, and now we're to the point where we are actually sitting down with parents and explaining all of these things to them all in order to get the initial consent for evaluation of a student. We are sitting down to discuss the initial evaluation. So here we go. So the initial evaluation, first of all, There's going to be some other things given to you before you sign the consent papers. And one of those things is the notice of evaluation, the notice of proposal to evaluate your student. So that is going to be the first thing we talk about. We're going to go over the notice of evaluation, proposal to evaluate, and describe those things to you. We're also going to describe the things that are involved in the assessment process. So looking at that, we have the first area is language. So sometimes these are considered obstacles to a student's learning, a challenge to their learning that we want to either rule out, it doesn't affect their learning, or rule in. Yes, it is a factor that we need to look at further, test more, and possibly program for. So the first area is language. 
language um, is going to address language is going to address is the student an English speaking student and tested in English? Are they a student who speaks another language? We might have to do some language dominance testing. So we will take a look and see, number one, what language does this student need to be evaluated in? We take a look at the home language survey, which was completed when you enrolled your child in school that very first day when they were little bitty with their gigantic backpack, and you filled out that packet of forms It felt like you were buying a house. We take a look at that home language survey to see what language you listed as the home language and the language the child is spoken to in and the language the child speaks to you in. If we have some other language concerns, whenever I do assessment, I'm not a speech and language therapist or pathologist. So whenever I am doing some testing, some of my testing is academic and cognitive language testing, how you process language, how you apply language in academics. If I have a student who has some low scores, some discrepant scores that I'm concerned about, I may say, hello, speech therapist, my friend, I need your help in this evaluation. Take a look at my data. And they may take that student and do some additional language assessment. Another area we think of in speech and language is, I don't want to say obvious, but sometimes it is obvious if a student has a stuttering problem or a really harsh lisp or articulation issues. And that is the realm of the speech and language pathologist as well. The next area we focus on is health. The number one thing that is usually included with the referral data is the student's hearing and vision screening that is done by the school nurse. We have to ensure that your student can hear and see, and that is not a reason why they are not doing well in school. I've had a lot of evaluations put on hold because the student needs glasses. Let me tell you guys, there are ways to get your child glasses. Shriners, other charity organizations, if you have a problem with insurance, with finances, what have you, please let the school help you. Because, yeah, we're helping you, but we're helping your child And if your child gets a referral letter from the nurse saying that they need glasses, please, please talk to that nurse. Talk to the campus counselor. If you're fortunate enough to have a campus social worker or family and community resource coordinator, please talk to those folks And it doesn't have to be like broadcast out there, but just communicate the area of need and they will work with you and they have resources they can tap into to help you, which ultimately helps your child. So hearing and vision, the next area of health is going to be, especially if you sit down with me, your host, Laura, I am going to get from you 
a pretty detailed health history, starting with mom's pregnancy, going through the birth process, looking for any complications, looking at developmental history. When did they first hold up their head? When did they crawl? When did they walk? When did they notice sounds? When did they respond to words being spoken to them? So that is part of the health information that's going to be part of the evaluation that's on your notice of evaluation is the health section. Then we have to let you know that we are also going to be looking at sociological information. We are looking for home life and educational history. We want to know about where they've been educated. Did they go to preschool if they're in kindergarten? Did they go to preschool? We want to get all that background information. This gets a little extensive when we have older students because we go through the whole educational history. I want to take a look at their grade over time and see what the pattern has been. Where, if they did well in elementary, but they started losing ground in middle school. That's going to be important for our evaluation. The next area we talk about in the notice of proposal to evaluate is going to be behavior. Behavior is going to be formal. All of these things are going to be formal or informal, depending on the referral question. So if my referral question from you or the campus is really not behavior related, they're a great kid, no problems, no office referrals, then my behavior review is going to be pretty informal. It's going to probably include an observation either by me or from someone else on the team or a teacher. It's going to include maybe some behavioral observations in the form of a checklist from the teachers and maybe from you as well. If the referral question involves behavior and we are concerned about ADHD, we are concerned about a possible emotional disturbance condition, We have some major behavior things going on. We have a lot of office referrals. We have some discipline issues. Then that behavior area is going to be more extensive. It's going to involve a sit-down interview with you about things happening with them in their life at home, in the community, and at school from your end of the of the lens. It's going to be a really thorough look at school and what's happening there from the teacher's end and observations. It's going to involve behavior rating scales and take a look at their behaviors compared to other students their age and try and get some of that to be more objective. That section can be big or small depending on the referral question. Now, I mentioned ADHD. ADHD is going to be part of the behavior section as well as part of the health section of the evaluation. ADHD is considered a medical disability. It is often involving behaviors such as hyperactivity, behaviors we can see, some impulsivity. It can also be behaviors you don't see such as distractibility, loss of focus, maybe some fidgeting. So I'm going to describe behaviors related to ADHD in the behavioral section of the evaluation. And I'm also going to report on the medical condition of ADHD 
that has been identified by a doctor, which it's required to be identified by a doctor, in the medical section. So the next area of evaluation is cognitive assessment. The cognitive assessment can look differently depending on, number one, the district you're in, the state you're in, depending on the referral question at hand. That cognitive piece can go from an overall cognitive ability standard battery to an in-depth look at the different areas related to learning. With cognitive abilities, we also take a look at adaptive behavior. Adaptive behavior is how you function independently throughout your day. Are we concerned about your safety? Do we have to monitor you? Is the student able to take care of their personal needs? Request help, things like that. This area of assessment is going to be more informal unless the cognitive abilities are showing up to be below average, and it's possible that there is an intellectual disability being demonstrated. So that's the adaptive behavior. Then we get into academics. The academic areas are going to be standardized measures. They're going to be over basic reading, reading comprehension, reading fluency, math problem solving, math calculation, written expression, listening comprehension, and oral expression. So that is all on your notice of proposal to evaluate that you'll be given at the initial consent meeting. After we review the notice of proposal to evaluate, we are going to talk about consent. And here are the reasons why you would be asked to give consent to a school district. Number one, for the evaluation of your child for the first time. Number two would be when we reevaluate your student and we are required to reevaluate at least every three years. Sometimes that happens at special request for a new area of concern or something's happened and there's just a, a need for new assessment. Number three would be providing special education or related services for the first time. The next reason would be to excuse an ARD committee member from attending an ARD meeting or an IEP committee meeting. There are provisions in the law where a parent can excuse a member of the committee and you need to give your consent for that. Inviting a representative of any agency that's likely to be responsible for providing for transition services. This is at the high school level. We would need your permission to invite outside agencies that could potentially help your student after graduation. So now we're sitting down. We've reviewed the proposal to evaluate. You know all the areas of testing. You know why we're testing. We are now getting your consent to go ahead and proceed with the testing. We have the referral question. We've reviewed all the areas of evaluation. You're signing consent. Now what? After that consent is given, we must conduct all the testing that we talked about, get all the evaluation data, and write up the report, which 
will be required to be completed no later than 45 school days from the day the school receives your written consent. There are some exceptions. If your child has been absent from school during the evaluation period on three or more days, then our evaluation timeline is extended a little bit. Now, if you're sitting with me going over all of the law, all of your procedure safeguards, and we're reviewing the notice to evaluate, and I give you your consent paper, one of the things in the prior written notice is that you can waive the five school day rule between when I give you the notice and when the evaluation begins. I can go ahead and get started on the evaluation because I'm going to go ahead and do my parent interview with you if there is time, if you have time to sit with me and get that activity done. Because the parent interview takes care of so many things that I've just described to you. It takes care of the sociological history, family history. It takes care of the medical history and what's happened to the student medically over their lifetime. It takes care of how the student acts and behaves at home. And if we need to get some scales completed, we can go ahead and do that. And then after our interview, the assessment has already begun and we've already accomplished a good deal of it. Uh, Just getting that parent information completed. After the consent form is signed by law, The evaluation and report must be completed no later than 45 school days from that date. So if you sat down with me today, then calculate 45 school days. That's when the report, all the data is collected. The report is written in 45 school days. After that 45th day, there are 30 calendar days to have a meeting to review that report and the proposed actions from the results of that report. There's some exceptions to this rule, and I'm going to try and go through these and explain them as best I can because sometimes it's a little confusing. So number one exception, if you're giving me consent to test your child in mid to late April and there's only 35 days left of school, not 45 then my evaluation report must be completed by June. That's not the date of our meeting. That's just the date the report has to be completed. There's an exception, and there's an exception to the original 45 school day timeline as well. Student absence. If your student is absent three or more days during our timelines, then that is going to extend our evaluation timelines. So on the original 45 school day timeline, if your student is absent three or more days, that extends that 45 days longer. If we're at the end of school, it's April, and I have at least 35 school days left and your child's absent, I no longer am required to have a report by June 30th. We're going to go to the 45 school day timeline, and my report is going to be due then in the fall. So just to let you know that absences are important in the timeline process. There's another exception area that's talked about here in the law that is so rare. I've never seen it occur. However, if the campus proposes to evaluate a student and they have good cause 
and the parent refuses to have their child assessed. The school district may, they do not have to, but they may pursue evaluation of your student by requesting mediation or a due process hearing, in which case the hearing officer may be required that may require that the student be evaluated. So we're going to be talking about the ARD process in the next episode. So then we'll get into the IEP, what all the components of the IEP, and break that down a little bit more because some of them are pretty hefty. So that's going to be the next couple of episodes that are coming up. I'm so happy that you have tuned in. I'm so excited to see some listeners from outside the state of Texas and Alaska and Oklahoma. Thank you to everyone who is a listener, especially those of you who are not my friends or family who are supporting me. I thank you for your time and hope that you are getting some valuable nuggets of information from this discussion. Please look forward to some guests that I have asked to join us. They're going to get even more in depth. I think you'll be very interested to hear what they have to say about some specific topics And I hope you will look at us on Facebook, like us, follow us on Facebook so we can update you as to what episodes are coming up, who our guests are going to be in the next few weeks and months. I appreciate you tuning in. I hope you've gained some information from our discussion here and recommend us to your friends. Thank you again for listening. I'm your host, Laura, and this is Hashtag SpedFacts.